Cisco Ice Client Authentication Design with Andy Richter, Episode 32. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, our goal is to provide you with real-world context around technology. I'm Michael Ziga, also known as Zig, and I am your host. Today, we welcome back my good friend, who is a full-on Cisco ICE expert. He has written one of the best Cisco ICE books that I use daily as a reference. He is honestly one of the main reasons why I learned ICE in the first place, and he has personally taught me some of the basics uh, at day one with ICE when I worked on the customer side. He is a distinguished engineer and security practice manager at Presidio, so please welcome Andy Richter back to the show. Hey, Andy. Thanks for joining us again, man. Thank you so much for having me, Zig. It's awesome to be back in the pod. You know, we had a great time last time talking about ICE. And, you know, I, I thought it would be fun again to come back and talk some more about authentication. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I think I think we all love uh, AAA, right? I think that's really what it comes down to is we all love AAA. So, um, but I do, I do got to apologize to you before we jump into the technology side that the last episode we did at Cisco Live and uh, face-to-face um, with my recorder, man, I, I, I was a little nervous at the beginning, and I haven't been that nervous in a while. Not really sure why. I totally botched, like, introducing you and everything. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to apologize to you um, and let the, the listeners know that, you know, there's still times where we all make mistakes as introverts. Um, you know, that's, that's what we are. For the most part, we're introverts. I don't know if you are. I know I am. And so uh, even when I interview as a guest, interview a guest, um, I still get nervous from time to time. So, Well, big, you know, apology completely accepted. I didn't notice a thing. And I'm just thrilled to be on to talk to you and your audience here. Awesome, so, awesome. You know, absolutely. Let's get into it, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, let's jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. So... So if we're going to, last time we were talking, we talked um, for a while about authentication and design. And we did it really from the ICE perspective. And, you know, you know, as you said, I wrote a book about ICE, and that is sort of my bread and butter one I like to spend a lot of time on. But it, it, it does a disservice, I feel like, to your listeners and the IT community out there because it is really only one half of the conversation, right? You know, if we talk about ICE and radius enforcement and whatnot, you have to remember that the other half of the conversation is happening on the client side. And there is a lot of design and configuration and things to think about when you're putting together an authentication design and environment, taking account when you look at all the clients. Because, you know, you might have one or two radius servers in a kind of normal size corporation. Um, It is normal to have a really diverse set of endpoint clients that have different capabilities and functionality that are, you know, that, that give you lots of challenges here. So you might be very used to knowing how ICE works, but if you say I have Windows, Windows 7, Windows 10, OSX, all these different permutations of Windows and different versions of OSX can behave differently and have different capabilities. And it's important to take into account um, their side of the, the, the authentication, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I, I think that's super important. So I guess I just kind of want to jump in, and I know we talked a little bit about this before, about EAT methodologies and um, the, the different actual client-side authentications. Because if you, if you look at what supplicants are capable of and um, uh, the different authentication methodologies, they can, they can give you a lot of information on the, the, the server side to then make 
enforcement decisions, and it's and it's important to 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 really understand the different capabilities of what every kind of software can have. So. So, so I real kinda, quick, I mean, I'm sorry to cut yeah. you off, but so let me just, so that the, the listeners can understand this too. I'm trying to ask questions for them, right? Because they might not um, understand everything. So the, each client is different, right? That's really what it comes down to. Not all clients are the same. That's exactly right. Okay. You know, yeah. it, it should surprise no IT guys that OSX and Windows are different, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, right, and, exactly. And they, they have different capabilities to get their written by different software manufacturers. So I, I kind of walk into a customer um, um, when we start talking about authentication design, and in my mind, I have a Venn diagram, right, that I just kind of I kind of think about. I ask them a couple of questions, right, just to kind of think about what we're going to do. Um, and, and I'll say, okay, well, what kind of enforcement do you want? And if they say, uh, I have um, engineering and finance users that I have to keep separate, okay, I'll say, okay, great. I'll, I'll kind of make that as a note in my head so I have to know who the users are to keep them separate. And I'll say, okay, well, what do you have for clients? And, you know, if they say, oh, I'm, I'm a Windows 10 shop, and I'll kind of wipe the sweat off my brow and say, okay, awesome, I've got, like, loads of options there. Uh, they'll ask them, um, you know, what do you have for servers, for radio servers and for directory services? And if they say, I have Cisco ISC and Active Directory, and I'll say, okay, great, this is going to be quick and easy. I'll be in and out in a few hours. Uh, but, they, but, in, but I go to lots of customers, and sometimes they say, uh, I, I have the Microsoft NPS radio server, nope. which is free for the, ver- the cost of Windows, which is not, I wouldn't say it's a bad radio server. It has less capabilities. Or I might go into a university and they might say, we don't actually have Active Directory, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of stick that in my head and say, well, then there's, there's limiting factors there to what we can do. Uh, and, and you just kind of have to, these are the three things I have in my Venn diagram, you know, and I look for the sweet spot right there in the middle. So what are the clients they have? What are the servers they have? And um, what, uh, and what is the enforcement requirement they have? And these are, these are things that are important that we're going to kind of go through in some detail. So when, when, as we walk through these, I want to, I want you to kind of keep some of these things in mind and we might put, put some of it together. Right. Um, so, when you configure a client for authentication, we're talking about AO2.1x, right? So we're talking about an authenticated network. And that might be a wireless network, sort of your typical secure wireless WLAN, uh, but it can also potentially be a wired connection. Um, so I guess I got a question for you, Zig. Are you ready? Can I, can I put you on the spot? Yeah, put me on the spot, mind? man. No, do it. So what, when you're doing .1x, what's the difference between a wireless LAN and a wired connection? Well, it's your connectivity method, um, and and then it's also the well. I mean, there's a lot of differences, but I'm not really sure what you're trying to get at there. So you 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 call out what I what I have. If I I'm right on the right on the uh, hitting you're the, the, cusp, the it, it, nail it, on the it, head it, or not? It's a trick question. It's oh. a trick question. I asked you from from a dot one X perspective. Oh, from a dot one X. I see what you did. Yeah. There's nothing, right? There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's just the media. It it's just the media and the connectivity media. method. Yeah, you got exactly. me though. You totally got me there. So I mean, yeah, when when you go from an implementation standpoint, there's different things you have to do on different devices, but the the protocol is still the same. Exactly, that's exactly right. So keep that in mind. So people will say, well, you know, do you and, and ask, from a, from a from a configuration perspective, um, because the authentication methods are the same, a customer could say, well, I I do want. You could make a good argument to say, I want the same authentication methodologies on the wired and wireless network. So I can kind of have the, the same behavior and performance here, there, and everywhere. And that's totally valid if that's what you're inclined to do. But you don't have to. 
you can do separate authentication methodologies wired wireless through and client to. The client's supplicants can be configured separately. So when I say supplicants, let's just let's 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 break that down real quick. Yeah, what, is, what is a supplicant? A supplicant is the software that runs on a uh, PC, uh, or I guess it could be a mobile device, or runs on an endpoint that performs the authentication. So it is, it is a piece of software that runs kind of above the driver. It doesn't actually run the network connection. Uh, and it sits in the operating system and performs that authentication. So it takes the credentials that the, client, the, the OS has, and it, uh, and, it can, and it talks to the network wired or wireless so that the client can authenticate. That's what the supplicant actually is. Supplicants exist in every operating system, no matter what you got. Every OS today has them. Uh, Windows, OS X, Linux, Android, iOS, they all got it. And it's, it's software that performs your authentication. All right, so uh, real quick, just so uh, the listeners can, can get this, uh, that'll be our term of the uh, term of the show is uh, supplicants, and I will uh, highlight that in the show notes. Um, Andy did a great job explaining that. It's not something that most people can, in my opinion, articulate as well as you have. So it's a, it's a great definition Thanks. of what Thanks, a supplicant buddy. is. Yeah, man. Just riffing, man. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't I, 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 I think I give a I give a slightly different color definition of the supplicant depending on my particular audience. Uh, so I appreciate the feedback there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So let's, so let's talk about it. So, so when when a when a supplicant does authentication, two things happen. Um, first of all, it's important to remember that the client needs to authenticate the network. And what do I mean by that? Um, we need to make sure that the client is not connecting to a rogue network, right? Um, and and it's probably more important for most clients in most cases to worry about connecting to rogue wireless networks because that's that's like that's the most common attack vector if you're going to talk about these kinds of attacks on endpoint clients right and so what you, when the, the way we authenticate what is a wireless network is, is a wireless network is who they say they are through certificates right so we load a certificate on a radius server yeah it could be ice we love ice I wouldn't have written a book about it, so I didn't think it was great. So <laughs> yeah, it could I love be any other radio server, I'm right? Yeah, yep. We don't have to be partisan here. You the same kind of certificate you can load on Microsoft MPS or, God forbid, at a Rubik ClearPass server. It's all the same stuff, right? What kind of certificate? Yeah. It's not a special cert, right? It's, this, it's a certificate that has the server key usage set on it, which is the same kind of cert you might put on a web server, right? So if you have a web server, you're used to running Apache or IIS, it's the same server parameters, right? Yep. Um, and so what you configure the client to do is to validate that the certificate presented by the network um, is the certificate that uh, we expect, right? Um, and so if, if you ever look at this, the client configuration in a Windows system, um, you'll see in your EAP settings that there's a long list of CAs. And there's a box at the top that says validate server certificate. Now, the biggest mistake a client can make, an IT guy can make, and say, I'm just going to go ahead and uncheck the validate certificate button because suddenly then I can connect. Like, so <laughs> go explain what that does then. Go ahead and explain a little yeah. bit about what that does. What that does is it says the client is not going to bother worrying who they're talking to. So if I, if, so say I'm sitting outside your house, Zig, and and I presume that the SSID you run at your house is Zigbits, right? And I can, and I, and you're running into the one X and ice because you're a nerd. I know you're a nerd, man. Yeah, I, I was at home. That. You That's know it cool. for, for sure, baby. Um, and and I say, you know what? I'm going to try to steal your credentials, right? The credential of your client. 
Uh, I could stand up on a rogue wireless access point, the Zigbits WLAN, and put just a, kind of whatever bogus cert I want on my radio server. And if your client does not validate this, the certificate is who they say they are, when if you were to connect to my rogue wireless access points, you'll say, all right, I got some whatever certificate here. I'm going to then try to authenticate my client onto this network, and you're just going to give me your credentials. Whatever that credential happens to be, depending on your read method, you're just going to give it to my rogue network. And suddenly, I've just stolen your creds, man. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's not a good look for you because, like, you're you, you know, you work for big companies, and we want to make sure that you know IT guys like we like us don't get, get don't get our credentials stolen. That's not a good look. No, that's like so, a resume building or not resume building, but resume generating event sure. right there, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 not gonna you're gonna have to definitely gen a new resume and go out uh, go out LinkedIn after <laughs> yeah, that one. So, yeah, right. so, we so you want to validate certificates so that the client knows who they who is who they uh, who they're connecting to. And uh, I said it's not as important on the wire wired network. And it's not because it's not important to validate the certificate. It's just that clients end up talking to unauthenticated wired networks more often, right? So if you have a work PC that uh, you connect in your office that does 802.1x at the office, um, and you want to bring it home and connect to your home router, well, presumably your home router probably does not run .1x unless you're me. Um, <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you're, you don't have to, you're that, 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 that supplicant um, does not need to necessarily enforce network connectivity if it doesn't have a certificate on the other end of the connection it can trust. So it's like not quite as big a deal because of that behavior, not because we don't love certificate trusting on the uh, the wired side. Well, I was going to say it's probably less, uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'm, my assumption here is incorrect, but you'll, you'll call me out on it. I know you will if it is and, or is. So um, my, my assumption for wired, though, is most, most companies uh, f- have some control over their wired ports. Um, not, not meaning like, you know, uh, authentication enabled or port security, but meaning physical access to the switches themselves. If they're in an IDF or lock, you know, they're in a lockable room for the most part. I would say 90% of the customers are. There's some that aren't. Some of them are like in the middle of a, of a room and that is a different story. But, um, and you're going to plug into the same switch. So, yeah. you know, whereas wireless is so much more f- flexible, so much more accessible and there's no way to Just lock that down out. from, yeah, I mean, there's, you go yeah. out to the city and there's, you know, hundreds of SSIDs you can jump on. Yeah, we have neighbors, right? Yeah, I live. I live not. I don't. I, I live in the suburbs, and I have lots of neighbors, right? So exactly, we don't all live in the country. It's important. Um, so let's let's talk about the next steps. So we've talked about the client authenticating the network, and then let's talk a little bit about you know how does how does then the client tell the network who it is? Now, there's there's two basic ways to provide credentials to the network. There's password or certificate. We talked a little bit about this last time. You know, a password. Um, is the same credential you would most likely log into a PC with, but does not necessarily have to be lo- uh, be uh, to just pass through the supplicant from uh, the 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 endpoint to the network. Uh, so, if you wanted to configure, yeah, go ahead. Then. Yeah, yeah. So in that situation, if you had your if you had the password configured, if you had it configured to use your password, your username password, right, and you had that. SSID that was a rogue SSID that had your same name and you weren't validating your server cert, um, you could literally get someone's username and password. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you if you if you want to if you want to do a little googling, there's a, there's some really nice uh, Kali Linux type uh, free BSE, uh, sorry uh, free radius implementations that'll just do this out of the box. 
works pretty good. Wow. You know, the, the kind of the only challenge is you, you end up with a hashed password, so you just have to attack the password hash. So if, if, you, if, you, if you get the password hash and you spend, you know, enough time with John the Ripper or the comparable yep. rainbow yep. table, you'll get, you know, a password eventually out of it for sure. You know, especially, especially for like my users. If you're, if you're like my users and they use the letter A as their entire password, that's usually pretty quick to crack. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, and I had one one quick question. So before, uh, so yeah. that 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 server validation or sorry, certificate validation, that's not actually authenticating anything. That's just validating the server certificate is a valid certificate. What we expect is right? a valid certificate. Okay. Sorry. Exactly. Now going now going exactly. back to the, the the other option, password versus certificate. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. Um. So the the password versus certificate stuff is you know surprisingly straightforward. Right, we're only there's there's not much to it. The only if you if you use a certificate a password, um, it's a traditionally your same password like you're used to seeing for any other any other authentication. It happens to be passed over a dot one x authentication, or if you use a certificate, um, it's it, like we talked about last time. It's kind of like badge access, and, and and if you use a client certificate like this, it that is not the same certificate you would use on a server, uh, in that the the certificate you put on the client has the client auth key usage set on it rather than the server off the opposite is the client. Um, and you also have to make sure that, you know, you, you, that the client has the private key associated with the certificate to actually perform that authentication. Okay. So the client has to have, you know, has to request a certificate from a CA has to have a private key on it on the client and then it'll perform the authentication. And it's important to remember just, just like we might lose a password that that can compromise your network because if a stolen password could be used to authenticate, a stolen cert could also be compromised uh, and used to uh, uh, break into your network. So you, know, you should use some care in uh, keeping those private keys in particular secure, right? So uh, just, just without going into too much detail on, you know, we could do, someone would, some, people do podcasts on Windows endpoint security. And that's kind of what you delve into about keeping your private key secure. But I would say if, you, if you're worried about that kind of thing, uh, having things like full disk encryption enabled on your laptop to leave, leave a site, uh, making sure that end users are not local admins on their workstations. I know that's a tough one. Uh, and if you do those two things, um, it is much more difficult, maybe not impossible, but much more difficult to compromise a private key in a Windows system. So just just a little little advice. Well, those there. are great advices. So, you know, those are those are, and in yeah. our line of work, it's obvious. But obviously, not everyone is is in IT and and does this for a living. So you know, those are great yeah. advices. So then, so let's let's talk through a Windows configuration, right? So yeah. and like we talked about what what a client would say. And I, I, my initial thing was I walked to a client. They say they got Windows systems and they got they they want to do um, they want to keep engineering and finance separate. Really normal request. Yep. Well, that. That tells you something very important. And this is like a this is a really important design implication. This is there's two settings in Windows that you could use for the authentication. Um, it could be a computer authentication, or it could be a user authentication, or it could be a computer or user authentication. Now it's important to remember this because if 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 you have to differentiate between different groups of users, you're going to have to perform a user style authentication at some point, right? Yep. Um, if you don't have to differentiate different versions of computers, 
or different, sorry, uh, different, different user groups. You don't have to authenticate the users. And that's important because um, if you were to say, I only need to validate what is a corporate machine, like we talked about last time, you only need to do a computer authentication. So it's just the behavior of Windows is when you turn on a Windows PC, um, you don't log into it, but you just turn on a Windows PC and you're in, you're in your office, it's supplicants will connect the wireless network by default and connect with the computer account, username and password, if, if you're using PEEP, sort of the most generic methodology here. Um, it, when you log in, if the, if the computer is set for only computer authentication, it will then immediately switch to the, uh, so it will never, if you think the computer only, it will never switch to any other credential. It'll only ever use that, uh, that computer credential, and you'll have no visibility to who, who the user is, so you won't be able to do that differentiation between um, uh, a finance or engineering users. So what you have to do is you have to set up user or computer authentication. And the or is like a really important part of the behavior of Windows. Uh, I know it's a, primarily a Cisco podcast about network design, but when you do authentication, you spend a lot of time in Microsoft because you have to remember that you're we're going to rely on the behavior of Windows here to, to help to participate in your authentication design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right on. Um, and then just to, to add to that, so this the entire intent of the podcast is to be... Um, Vendor agnostic, just FYI, for everyone else listening. So we, we are heavy Cisco at times, but we do things outside of Cisco. So I have to throw that plug in. And then to your point, you're right. I mean, we have to really understand the different things that we're working on. So if it's Microsoft or Apple yeah. or OS X and whatnot. So, and there's limitations yeah. with, with all that um, and pros and cons to all those things too. Yeah, so, 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 so if you then do, you're, you're using username and password authentication, if you, if, you, if you need to do that differentiation and we're using username and password authentication, the behavior of Windows is, is once you log in, you've got user or computer enabled, um, the supplicant will switch from the computer off, instigate a re-authentication to the wireless network, and then present your user username and password to the wireless network. Now, because this is important. So a, a PEEP authentication is what I'm describing here. Um, there is no mechanism in that style authentication to give you any information during the user authentication this, that this is necessarily coming from a domain PC. So if you're, if you're like me and worry about keeping rogue stuff off of your wireless network or your wired network, what you, if, if you're using PEEP in that, me that method, you don't have the ability to keep control over the endpoints that you're allowing to connect. And that's like that's, that's probably one of the most important design things that I end up working with because the window. This is just the, the straight up behavior of the Windows supplicants. So, like I said, the, the the customer says I need to do this, and if they're saying I I need to make sure that I keep rogue PCs off the network, I'm not going to have BYODs, you know, with ubiquitous network access, and I I cannot suddenly use PEEP. No, right? you got to use EPTLS, right, I've, or something along I've those lines. EPTLS. Exactly. If I use the Windows supplicant. And so what we then get into is we then just permit um, the, uh, we, we then provision certificates to the endpoints um, via your enterprise certificate authority. Uh, and you configure the endpoints to do an EPTLS authentication. And then your, the sort of the backend radius policy is, is if you're, if you've got an EPTLS authentication and you are a, uh, uh, engineering user, you get engineering access. And if you're a finance user doing ETLS, you get finance access. And then the, neither the two shall mix unless the IT guy says that's all right, right? <laughs> but that's, that's, that's really great. Now, that's not great necessarily for everybody because not everybody has those 
stringent network requirements. So I don't want to sound like I'm, 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 I'm necessarily a fanatic. You have to do this kind of strong network authentication because that's not right for every corporation. People don't necessarily, in some places, have that much fear of some rogue devices on the network. And that comes around where you go to universities or whatnot that, that have these kinds of requirements that are not quite so strict, where they have student populations where they cannot put certificates on the endpoint of the network. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right um, on. I think you got to tie it back to the, the business requirements, constraints, and drivers. I know I, we tied it into the, the past episode we did. Um, yeah. and, and it's the same here. We have to tie it to the corporate or whoever your customer is, whatever your organization is. What are they trying to do and why? And then you, you tailor it towards that. I mean, um, you don't yeah. need to do full-on micro-segmentation if there's not a requirement for it. Now let's let's throw some wrenches in here, right? Because as you said, every every organization is different, and these things are important. So I talked a bunch about PEEP, right? You know, the the normal inner method for PEEP authentication is the MS Chat version two authentication. So we say inner and outer method. The outer method is that that certificate TLS, you know, authentication that occurs. The inner method ends up being MS Chat, and and and. The thing is about MS Chat is that while it's really wonderful, about 90% of the time, there's a 10%, right? And, and for people who do consulting, like I've done for a while now, you, you bump into that 10%, you know, not that often because they, they, they call up for help because they, something's not working, it's a design challenge. So if, if, if you're doing MS Chat, you need to have Active Directory generally as your backend directory source because the Active Directory is what can take that MS Chat uh, authentication hash and make sense of it and do the client authentication. If you have um, something that is not necessarily Active Directory, like an LDAP directory, you got to do something different, right? Um, and the native Windows supplicants, if you're still running a, running Windows endpoints, cannot do um, uh, uh, can can sorry can have multiple inner method options there, right? Um, and one option in Windows 10 that's great is called EPTTLS. All right, so what's the that? Tunnel TLS. Yeah, it's a great. It's it's basically a a EAP methodology that is functionally identical to PEEP, um, but includes um, an inner method of PAP. Like remember, remember if you if you ever read a Cisco security manual from you know ten or fifteen years ago because we've been doing this for a while, you know, the first radius method you'll hear about is PAP authentication or stuff like that, right? Well, they just and 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 that's what you use for sort of normal uh, VPN username and password, something real stupid like that. But it never existed in wireless because you know when wireless came around, we thought this was a terrible idea. We wanted to be more secure. Well. You know, that was the time we didn't have strong certificate authentication to protect credentials. So we don't need to rely on, you know, uh, 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 MS chat to pr protect our credential hashes because we're protected by certificates now. We can use a less strong inner method and still be just fine as long as we do strong certificate authentication on the outside. So the end result is if we use PAP with EPTS as inner method, you can use, you know, if you want to get old school, like a Sun LDAP server. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. If you wanted to use Sun Zig at your house, you could do that if you use EPTLS. I will not um I will not uh deny or or acknowledge if I have that at my house or not. <laughs> That's the tell. Otherwise you would have denied it, bro. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> now let's talk now let's talk a little bit a little about Windows. Right? We talked a lot about Windows, but let's 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 kind of dig deep a little bit here. So how how do you then 
provision these settings out there. You know, you you provision it with Microsoft Group Policy. So we so we network guys don't spend a lot of time on Group Policy, um, but the Windows guys do. So when I go in to do a wireless network installation and I say I want to talk to the Active Directory team, you know. If, I, if, if I'm going to an organization that has not done a lot of wireless before, I immediately get a, a cross-eyed look like, why do you want to talk to those guys? We never talk to the Active Directory team. Because, like, of course, the AD team and network team often don't get along. But yeah, they're siloed case, or whatever, yeah. They gotta, right? So the, what you do is you call up the Active Directory guys and you say, hey, I want to create a group policy. And they'll usually say, sure. Uh, give me three weeks lead time, and it'll, yeah. it'll be no problem. <laughs> so give them some lead time because we want to be good neighbors, right? Um, and then you, you, you can tell them the parameters what you're, what you're trying to configure. I want to configure ETLS authentication um, to the laptops in this particular OU, um, and you can say these. Are the, the, I want to trust the certificate from the enterprise CA only on that that this wireless network, and they'll say, okay, sure. And that's usually like a, it's usually a 30 minute conversation that I have. And then it'll just kind of go out. I remember um, uh, I was a younger consultant probably eight years ago. My, my first really big wireless installation I was doing for a pharmaceutical company, an international pharma firm. Um, and uh, the AD guys were great. I told them that all that stuff and they said, well, okay, we'll just handle this, the, the SSID configuration and let me know when the, let us know when the wireless network is going to be up. So I, I, I told them when the wireless network should be up. And the day I walked in to turn the wireless network and do a test plan, I, uh, I started bringing up APs one at a time. And I said, oh, oh my God, there's, there's suddenly 700 devices on this brand new wireless network because <laughs> the AD team had pushed out the group policy you know, the day before we turn up the wireless network, I'm thinking I, I got time to to do to do a test plan, do failover, and, and just as I'm realizing this, the CIO is yelling at me around the corner, "Hey, by the way, the wireless network works great." As he picks up his laptop and walks in the conference room, and I'm thinking, "How am I going to get this guy to stop and let me do a test plan?" Real <laughs> real story. Wow, that's but it worked, right? You just couldn't test it's, it, and it's that easy. It's yep, that easy. All awesome. you got to do is, is tell them exactly what you want, and the ADS can usually get it, get it going. Well, and our, I, but it's important to remember. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's cool. Well, it's important to remember that um, the, the, the Windows software can do more for you than just get you on the network, right? It can prevent network access, too. So the, the, the thing that I'll, I'll often go in and do is I don't do just corporate authentications. You know, when I do a wireless network, I put in guest networks, right, that have just a splash page and people can get on the network yep. or get on the internet. So you can, so, so when you, when I walk into a company, I'm going to go to a meeting at one of my customers, I'll say, Hey, can I have a credential? And they'll say, yeah, sure. Andy, here you go. So I can VPN back into Presidio, do my email or my timesheet or whatever I got to do. Right. Yep. Um, but we don't want necessarily want all of those corporate PCs to use the guest network. So the guest network might have a more liberal internet policy that we may not want our, and users actually using. Well, you, it's important to remember that you can configure the Windows supplicants to deny access to a wireless network. So you can say, you know, you can't get in Ziglet's guest. Yep. You can only get on Ziglet, yep. right? You can, uh, or in this case, you can, you can, if you, if you, if you're, if you, Mike, if you're, man, <laughs> if you're managing your, your, uh, your kids' Windows laptops via active directory through policy and you want to keep their pcs off of your network you want them on the kid only network you can write the group policy to deny them access to that other access that other network totally a valid configuration right 
Yes, yes. Now I have. I don't. I don't have that at home. I promise. I don't have that at home. Mainly because my kids. My son has an iPad, not a not a Windows machine today. Um, uh, but okay. I have actually implemented that, implement, implemented that a number of times for customers, though, because you, they don't want their corporate machines on guest at all. No, it's a bad look. Yep. Yep. But there are also there are also times that you can say, look, Andy, the, if I if I if I if, I, if I'm in doing consulting for your company. Um, you might say, I, I want all these things. And I might say, that's not possible with the Windows native supplicants. And they usually sit back in their chair and say, okay, well, what do we do? And it's important to remember that all is not lost. There's still any connection. <laughs> there's still hope. Right? There's still hope at the yeah, end. Yeah, there's still hope. Right? Yeah, there's, there's, I have a new hope. It's called Cisco AnyConnect, the Network Access Manager. <laughs> and and it, Cisco has developed the AnyConnect NAM to kind of really fill in a blank spot where the Windows supplicant just didn't provide enough functionality for endpoints, right? Um, and, and there's a couple things. One is uh, you can only do one kind of authentication um, on a supplicant at a time. You can only do, you know, a PEEP authentication, username and password, um, or you can do an ETLS. You can't do, you know, a computer password and a user certificate. You can't mix and match. You can't that. customize it. I mean, well, the native, the Windows native supplicant is good. It just doesn't have those bells and whistles that you're looking for. No, exactly. And it's not the, it's not the bad mouth Microsoft on this point, although I will on other points, right? <laughs> so the native supplicant has its place and it's fine. Um, but but any connect is just better and more flexible in that regard. So if you say, Andy, I need to do... Uh, a, a user and password authentication for the computer accounts, but I need to do something stronger like a certificate for the um, uh, users once they log in. Well, that's a valid configuration. You can then mix and match that kind of thing, right? That's that's not a big deal. So, from a, a I guess a um, protocol standpoint, what what is that um, like? Peep MS Chat version two for the computers, and then EEP TLS for the users. Yeah, see so that that's a great functionality. That's a great capability. Yeah, you can mix in EFAS. You know, EFAS is the, is the Cisco Cisco proprietary, although it's not that proprietary anymore. There's RFCs about it. Authentication methodology. It's a different EAP method. They can give you even more. And then and the the else in the room there is EAP chaining. Yeah, so you're gonna have to explain both those EAP, EAP chaining and EFAS, yeah. right? Yeah, so EFAS is just another methodology. It's just another another framework, not dissimilar to PEEP, right? In that you can do username and password authentications in kind of the same way you would do uh, an, a PEEP authentication. Um, it has flexibility that the inner methods could also be a certificate inner method, right? So it doesn't have to be username and password. It could be a, a inner method of a certificate authentication. Um, the, the kind of the mechanical difference about it is is it also uses uses this thing called a pack. Uh, uh, and that's basically just a, a secure token file that's not totally unlike a certificate, but the, the radius server gives those out. So this ends up being a proprietary, either Cisco IC or Cisco ACS to do it fast. So you're not going to have a Microsoft NPS server to do, to do that kind of thing. Um, and, and I basically also, in case anyone wonders, ignore um, packs in my configuration. I usually configure them and allow them. Um, uh, and just a little, a little inside baseball. I always make sure that the pack provisioning is authenticated, and uh, that's probably a different, different, 
these right, size podcasts on different days. Day. Yeah, but yep. it's cool. But keep keep that in mind if you're looking at the configuration saying, well, what would Andy recommend? Well, Andy would say, uh, unless you got a good reason, always authenticate a packet version A. But use packs, not a big deal. Real quick, though, I mean, can you explain some of the, what's the benefits of EAP chaining versus like standard EAP TLS yeah. and, and PEEP and whatnot? Yeah, I'm getting get it right now, Doug. Oh, yeah. It's almost, Sorry. almost hit my tongue. <laughs> sometimes it's Sometimes Some, it's hard to get these things out. I got like a freight train in my mouth. So it's, it's, you, you go like a mile a minute, man, you know, and, and I'm just I'm like, <laughs> I got questions, but I don't want to interrupt you. But uh, at least we're on the same no. page, right? So so the uh, the thing about PEEP is that you can only do one credential at a time, right? So you can do the computer off when, you log, uh, when, when no one's logged in. And when you log in, it switches and does just the user off. So you have no context in that second authentication about what kind of thing this username and password is coming from. And each chaining literally chains the two credentials together and presents them at the same time to the radius server, right? And so this is device-only authentication. you got to have any connect NAM for it. Um, so that the behavior is you log, you, you got your Windows PC booted up, it provides the network to the computer off, and you log in, and then when it re-offs, it provides both the computer credential and the user credential simultaneously change it together and you'll know, hey, this thing really is a corporate PC and comes in with the user authentication. And this is important because you never heard me say you needed a client certificate for this. You, then you, you can do e-chaining, you don't have provision certificates. Okay. And that's really where I, I get to customers where they say, well, you know, Andy, I really want that strong authentication behavior, but I don't want a provision certificate because Maybe I really don't get along with the Windows guys for whatever reason, and maybe that's a maybe that's a shame on the social side. But maybe I'm just too much of introvert. Maybe, maybe we can all kind of relate <laughs> to that too, right? And I just don't want to talk to the Windows guys that can't do a certificate. So okay, fine. We can put the AnyConnect supplicant on, and we can configure it to do eap chaining, and we don't have to talk to the Windows guys, right? Yeah, for yeah. better or worse. So that'll work. And, but it's important to remember also that we get a little extra design. Uh, functionality with with that and that because we're providing the computer credential we can look up computer groups right so the first time i did this i had a specific use case at a university that said well i need to differentiate between when a student who's a student worker like a work study student is logging into a computer lab computer versus a work computer it's the same user account and that's a student but I need to be able to look up which computer they're logging into. Well, if I have those different computer groups broken up into different security groups in my Active Directory, um, I can write rules in my ICE server and say, well, if a student logs into a computer lab computer, well, they can have access to academic resources and do their homework and print. If I, got, I don't even know if students print anymore, but maybe they want to, right? <laughs> they probably they do. do. Who that. knows? Who knows? Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't, but whatever. Or if they log into work, well, then they, they can have access to, you know, those corporate resources in the data center to do their actual requirements to perform their job duties there that they would not otherwise need to do if they were just in a computer lab doing homework, right? It's a great so use you case. You can get wow. into that kind of, yeah, you can get into that really granular. Now, again, I wouldn't recommend doing this if you don't have to, um, but it gives you just sort of a really another level of policy uh, flexibility you otherwise would not have. Well, yeah, yeah, so, no, I, I agree with a couple of statements. First off, it's a great use case, honestly. But again, I wouldn't yeah. do it unless it's a requirement. I would never do something like that yeah. unless it's actually a requirement by by the organization. Yeah, but it's great. 
And, and so there's, there's more stuff that, that AnyConnect gives you that's wonderful. It's important to remember that AnyConnect gives you lots of stuff. So just like the Windows stuff, like we said, we can, we can deny access to a guest network. But, you know, I have customers who are in the same building as a Starbucks. And if, and if an end user says, I just want to avoid, you know, the web filter and log into social media, I just hop into Starbucks right next door, just across the wall. Well, what the AnyConnect NAM can do is there's a feature called corporate SSID that says if this SSID is available, the corporate SSID, the .1x1, authenticate to that network, but then do not allow the supplicant to connect to any other network. Basically, blacklists everything else. So you you can then only use that corporate network. You so force them. Happen to be next door to a Starbucks. And I don't want to black, black, bad mouth Starbucks because let me tell you, Zig, the, there are a few things I love more than ice. And one of them is Starbucks coffee. Oh, I love coffee problem, nowadays, man. <laughs> so I'm so, with you on that. But it's the Wi-Fi. We're just talking about Wi-Fi. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So if you say, I, I, I'm going to enforce you to get on the corporate network and not the Starbucks network, that's a valid option there, the corporate SSID button. So that's great. And the other thing is it provides natively wired switching. So that's where if you plug into the network, any connect will automatically shut off the wireless. Now, a lot of people love this feature. I, I am marginally more skeptical of its functionality. Um, I mean, just, just because, you know, what's the point of making your computers deauthenticate off the wireless network if you'll just have a better routing cost on the wired side? And then if I unplug, it just means that I don't immediately have a connection already on the wireless side to connect to. If I've turned off my wireless, I have to like turn turn the wire wireless network back on. Yep. It has to broadcast and find and associate and authenticate, get an IP address, and then I can work. When if I have a strongly authenticated wireless network and I've got you know properly configured device routing, I don't think it's a big deal. But some people it's important and they got regulatory requirements. So if if you say Andy, you know you can get on your soapbox and shout at me <laughs> as much about how you think it's dumb, but I have a requirement. I'll say okay, you have a requirement. You know, I mean, I like it, but like, I don't get my way. Right? I think you, I think you said something very important there is that the the device routing appropriately across the right uh, network access card or NIC or network interface card. I don't know why I said network access card. I meant network interface card. <laughs> uh, so um, there I go being dumb again. Um, but no, I, I think it, I think it's actually a lot of times in my case, um, it's the environment doesn't actually choose the right NIC to use when they're both accessible. So you might be authenticated yeah. on the wired side and the wireless side at the same time. You might be docked or whatever with your laptop, and it's actually sending traffic over the wireless. And I've seen that happen depending on the client devices. Yeah, yeah two, two, two quick reasons why, right? So one is you got a brand new wireless network. You put in some nice AC Wave 2 APs. The client negotiates 700 megabits per second. It thinks that this thing has a screaming wireless connection. Yep. True. But maybe you have an old phone on your desk that you're plugged into an old IP phone that runs at 100 megabit. Well, you know, 100 megabit wired connection is probably still faster than the PHY you'll get on a half duplex 700 megabit wireless connection that has lots of other people on it. But the client doesn't know the difference. It's just looking at the negotiated rate. So you do have to be careful of that. And that's, that's kind of, that's off topic from authentication, but that's the kind of thing you bump into occasionally. And in, and in that case, if you had that, you'll say, hey, Andy, that wired switching functionality Andy can like, gave me, yeah, I really saved my bacon there, right? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so we've talked a lot of it about, a lot, a lot of stuff about AnyConnect and Windows, but 
Um, oh, no, it's happening. If you're like me and you have customers that have uh, OSX devices out there, they have a whole new world, man, and they don't have group policy, right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about the functionality you get from OSX, if you don't mind, Jake. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. It's, it's, it's definitely a topic we should discuss. I cringe a little bit because of my experience with it. So hopefully there's, it's been a little bit since I've done an ICE deployment. So hopefully, I'm hoping there's some new changes with, with Mac, but maybe there hasn't been. So we'll can, find I, out. can I give you a horror story to start out with? I'm not yeah. going to name any names. I'm going to give you a horror story. I was, I was, I was at a customer, and they were they said, um, well, I, uh, let me take a quick step back. I asked them, how, how are you going to configure all your apples? They said, we don't have a Mac management system. I said, well, how do you make config changes? I, they say, we email our 200 users, and we have to bring their laptops back in to help that. Ouch. I said, oh, dear Lord. Okay, well. Let's let's figure out what that email has got to look like in a few weeks when we got to reconfigure the wireless network settings on these 200 laptops that people walk home with. And I said, who are they? And they said, oh, it's the marketing department and all the executives. I said, okay, uh-huh. boys, you can, good luck with that one. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about setting up an MDM or Jamf is the next thing, which is, which is really how we would most typically uh, manage a large number of OSX devices. Now, uh, to, be, to be totally frank, Zig, I am, I am not a Apple management experts, but I see a lot of them in, in, in where I, these places I go. And I, I'm going to tell you what the, the people that I see most often use to manage their endpoint devices that are, that are effective are running either you know, the, a MDM that the corporation has selected they typically like, and there's a bunch that are great, um, or, or they're running Jamf as their, uh, as their management platform. Uh, and, and, and provisioning the supplicants with those uh, platforms to get the configuration uh, to a OSX device is functionally the same as GPO in that you just configure the policy in the management application and push it out to your OSX devices. Yep. And that policy will say, here's the WLAN to connect to, and here's the username and password uh, configuration to connect to. So connect with the TLS, or sorry, TLS maybe, or PEEP, both are supported in OSX, or connect with TLS. And here is a certificate, because you can provision certificates with these things and just use that certificate to authenticate. Um, there's no, um, from, a, from a policy standpoint, on the, or a policy enforcement standpoint, there's no difference in the implementation of the PEEP or TLS. Uh, as implementations inside OSX that gives you any more juice or flexibility over Windows. So if you say, hey, Andy, uh, can, I, um, can I do anything fancier in OSX than Windows with my PEEP authentication? The answer is no. PEEP is PEEP, whether or not Yeah, it's, it's the same Windows authentication mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, same thing with ETLS. So you, you, you mentioned MDM. So just real quick, so that's mobile device management for everyone that, that may not know the, the abbreviation. MDM is mobile device management. And some of the systems that I've seen um, actually used with, with Macs and, oh, I guess, Apple devices in general um, is a, a Casper. I, I don't know if there's any. There's probably a ton of them out there. Um, I've seen Casper yeah, used a lot. Jam. Yeah, Casper is not called Jam. It's the same thing. Oh, yep. it's the same thing. See, I didn't know that. See? Yep. Uh, other ones are like uh, the Meraki MDM yep. uh, cloud-based. Looks okay. You know, it's not the most featureful. I like it. Yeah, price is right on it. Uh, we see uh, AirWatch, which is owned by yeah, VMware, is very popular. I don't think I've ever met an AirWatch customer who didn't like it. Yeah. Um, you know, Mobile, Mobile Iron was a really early market leader um, in in the space. Uh, their product was very flexible, uh, but it was. It, I saw it to be as the 
fairly difficult to implement and certainly not cheap, but it was cool. Um, you know, if, if you're in a, a large organization that uh, does defense contractor or uh, that does defense contracting, or you happen to work in the military, I bet you've encountered Good, um, which is the name of the company, not any way I've heard someone characterize the actual product. Funny and, you are. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, it's to each his own. You know, if, if someone if someone wants to get on their soapbox and shout at me about how good containerization actually is, good. Okay, fine. Maybe it works for you guys. I just I just don't like it that much. But you know, if it, the the policy functionality of the of the supplicant configuration is what I can was what I care about. And fundamentally, they're all the same, right? Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll they'll basically all provision the supplicant in mostly the same way for you, and they'll get the job done because they're all using the same APIs that Apple provides us actually provision the supplicants in OSX or potentially iOS. Okay. Right? I have two questions. Two questions um, yeah. while I try to jam them in here real quick. Um, so the first one, we talked about sort of uh, uh, different authentication mechanisms or methods, I guess, on OSX. So my question kind of goes around to um, cert, uh, identity certs being deployed to like a MacBook. Um, is there... Yeah. I mean, I, and this is just because of my knowledge, my lacking of that knowledge. So, And it has been some time since I've deployed ICE on Ma- with MacBooks. But um, do you ever see an identity cert being deployed for the MacBook and for the user on a, on a Mac? No. So the, the, the supplicant configurations as I've done them are all, are all monolithic in that you provision a certificate to the actual endpoint itself. Uh, and that certificate will be used for whoever is logged into it. You don't have differentiation between the, the, between the different users when you do a certificate authentication like that. So, okay. Um, and it makes the most sense when you think about your, uh, the, the, the supplicant does work different um, in that, that you don't have that user computer switch for the supplicant authentication um, uh, after login. Uh, uh, if you have a domain member Apple PC, so and you're looking for a strong authentication, kind of the best way I found to do it is to provision the computer, uh, the computer cert through your MDM to that endpoint uh, and have it do that EPLS authentication. And then you can do a, uh, an active directory authorization based on the, the, the domain account of the Apple PC. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. So the domain account of the Apple PC or the domain account of the user? Uh, I would most typically do the Apple PC. Okay. Right. So you that's, have that's just kind of the way these things go. So yeah. you actually have MacBooks get added to the domain. You actually have cre- you actually create a, um, AD accounts for the MacBooks. Okay. Cool. Yep. If you have, uh, if you say, Andy, I have to be able to do that kind of user differentiation. You know, I would say, okay, well, we can issue a user cert to this Apple, but that presumes you only have one user authenticating on the Apple, right? Because yeah. you're going to only present that exactly, right? Um, which, which may or may not be sufficient for your organization, but, but this, is, this is the inflexibility or simplicity of the particular supplicant, and that's okay. I'm not mad at Apple for doing this because most people only have one laptop, and, you know, Zig, I like you, but you're not going to ask to share my laptop. You've got your own laptop. Yep, so yep. We are a company provisioned up individual. You don't have to worry about sharing that much. It just doesn't happen that much anymore. So, exactly. And unfortunately, um, OSX, and I, sorry, Apple does not given Cisco enough um, uh, 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 access to the low-level API, the supplicant, to create any connect NAM for OSX. It just doesn't exist. So you can't do that kind of deep chaining authentication that we love in Windows. It doesn't exist in OSX. You know, they're, they're, you know, a little, a little off topic looking out in the future, there are RFCs that are available um, that 
a OS manufacturer like Microsoft or Apple could implement that would provide this kind of functionality natively in these supplicants. Uh, one is called TEEP, T-E-A-P, the tunnel EEP. Um, they just haven't. And so if I, if, if I ever get in front of a, a Microsoft product manager on the wireless side, I'd probably get on his desk and shout and say, why haven't you done this, guys? Because as soon as you implement this functionality natively in, in any of these uh, OS supplicants, uh, you will have a race on the Radius server developer side to properly implement and utilize that kind of thing. It's just going to be the nature of the beast. Because like, I think you know, Cisco developed AnyConnect um, to do e-chaining to fulfill a need in the market that didn't exist. But I have trouble believing that they would be that sad if Microsoft implemented it natively, right? There's still other things that are wonderful about AnyConnect that don't necessarily involve deep chaining. Yeah, yeah. So. No, you're right on. So my second question, thank you for that, because I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I knew that you could only get one cert on uh, OS uh, X at one point, and I just wasn't sure if they had changed that or not. So um, my second question is more around MDM and the mm-hmm. integration within ICE. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. So, um, there, so ICE can integrate to a whole bunch of MDMs. The last I checked, I think it was 12. It's always changing. I stopped keeping track. Every major MDM manufacturer has an API that, they, that is included in the product that ICE, will inter- that ICE can integrate to, and they can talk back and forth and exchange contextual data about endpoints. So contextual data meaning... Uh, if it's an iPhone, um, uh, what is the version of software running on it? What is the IMEI number? What's, what is its phone number? Is it encrypted? Is it jailbroken? Is there a pin set on it? Um, uh, and then if there is a policy applied to it in the MDM, is that policy uh, uh, being complied with, right? So all these different bits of data can be shared with ICE. So if you wanted to um, uh, say, I, I need to allow these endpoints end onto my wireless network, um, but I only want to allow them when they're compliant with my uh, 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 MDM policy. Uh, I can write the policy inside ICE to say, you know, uh, uh, if wireless uh, authentication method is wireless.1x, uh, and this thing is a member of domain users, um, and it is compliant with my MDM policy, then permit access, right? So then if, if it's then not compliant with MDM policy, uh, presumably will deny it access or get it onto a VLAN or an access control policy. They'll give it restricted access until it becomes compliant, right? Um, the cool part about that is it's easy to implement. So the, the, the API integration between ICE and, and basically every uh, actually, literally every MDM manufacturer uh, that is not named Intune is just a username and password API integration that ends up being RESTful. To do Intune, you have to do some kind of certificate exchange, which is not a big deal, but it just takes 15 minutes longer than every other implementation. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, and then you just you just write the you just write then once you do that the the ICE policy rules just appear in your authorization policy and you can just kind of go. It's not a big deal then. Uh, the, the downside is that the actual thing the way that the uh, ICE identifies what that endpoint is is its, is its MAC address. So it takes the MAC address from the calling station ID and provides that to the uh, um, to the MDM and says is this MAC address compliant or not compliant. Um, so that to me is not like the most strong authentication because it's, you know, MAC addresses are swoopable. Yep. 
it's certainly not bad, right? So I would usually use this in context of other things. So it's great to have that contextual information, you know, compliance information, so I can I can make decisions if I want to about it. But don't use that necessarily as a replacement for strong authentication in your environment. Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. It's, what is the use case for? It's to be able to filter things based on that data, that data that you're getting from the MDM solution. And oh, by the way, if you're using it. it if you've listened to me, if you're one of my customers, and I've, I've told you all about PXGrid, the, the Cisco API in ICE, uh, ICE can then take that contextual information. It learns from the MDM, provides other third-party products, right? So anything out there that would want to subscribe to that kind of contextual security information um, to make decisions, you can provide that to stuff. You can give it to your firewall if your firewall can consume it, maybe an IPAM maybe someone like Splunk, uh, whatever can potentially consume that PSCRIB data that would be available to them. So uh, see, this is that's real value in security, I believe. You no, know, no, you're right on. I mean, I think the ability to pivot from ICE into other systems, even third-party systems, is huge. Um, and, and act on that data that you're getting into ICE into other another systems. Again, like you said, Splunk, you said a whole bunch of systems, right? Firewalls and whatnot. But you literally can act on that data, um, make intelligent decisions, block something, quarantine something, allow something based on that information. Or audit, right? You know, or audit. You, know, just, just you got it. Have, exactly. Just, just know more. Know more and make smarter decisions as a human. Even if you're not going to automate all your decisions to start with, because you have to walk before you run. But you have to, you have to put in, you have to do the groundwork first to know what you're going to do. Right. Exactly. I think that's super important. So, Zig, it's been awesome being on your podcast here, man. I hope we can do this frequently. This is yeah, a, a no, great but- pod. You have some great topics, and I love listening to all the pods you guys put out here, even if it isn't just me talking authentication. Hey, no, this has been great. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I know it's kind of late. Um, I appreciate you spending the, the time with me and my listeners that are out there, um, giving us some context, uh, real-world context, kind of around ICE and ICE client you know, authentication design. Um, do you have any last-minute kind of t- uh, things to say to the, to the listeners? No, I'm good, man. Um, All right. It's, it's been fun. Happy to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll definitely find some more topics um, related to maybe Cisco ICE and we'll maybe some more of the advanced topics and we'll, we'll um, cover them in the near future. It's, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Um, where can the listeners find you on the interwebs? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Andy Richter's my name, or on Twitter if you want to hear me off topic at, at QuasiNerd. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll have those in the sh- uh, show notes for today's episode. So if for some reason you don't know how to get those, it will be in the show notes. Um, today's show notes will be zigbits.tech slash 32. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, how about your book, Andy? What about that? So a book was on ICE 1.4, you know, books out there on Amazon, search uh, Cisco ISC. You'll see it as one of the top hits there, practical uh, deployment of Cisco Identity Services Engine. Um, and I'm going to put you in the spot here, and, and maybe you'll get mad at me, but um, are you going to be making an updated version of that for like 2.4? You know, I, I am. I, I actually am about 10% done with a book on Palo Alto firewalls. So, oh. you know, a new ice book is on my list, but maybe you'll see a Palo Alto book before I finish the ice book. Oh, that sounds awesome. I would read that. All right. Well, um, I, again, I appreciate you. I appreciate you joining us and, and giving this uh, outstanding podcast and all the content that you gave us today. Um, hey, friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there, that's going to close out this episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast on Cisco ICE Client Authentication Design with Andy Richter. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation tonight. Um, thanks for listening. 
Uh, be sure to visit zigbits.tech to join the conversation and access today's show notes. Like I said a, a minute ago, today's show notes is at uh, zigbits.tech slash 32. Um, if you liked today's episode, if it inspired you, resonated something within you, or provided a level of real-world context, let us know. You can find us on all of the socials, that's Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, by searching for Zigbits. You can also send us an email to feedback at zigbits.tech. Don't forget to join us in two weeks for another episode where we will continue to provide you with real-world context around technology. Bye for now.